Hi, you're listening to the Coding Black Females podcast, where we'll be sharing recordings of our events and inspirational stories and discussions from Black women in tech. I'm going to give you all a very quick introduction to Black Coder, Coding Black Females and Neo Enterprise. And then I will introduce the fantastic panelists we have this evening and we can crack on and get started. So very quickly, for any of you who haven't heard of Black Coder, um, the Black Coder Bootcamp is a 30-week coding bootcamp. We're actually going to be doing a full-stack development bootcamp and a front-end development bootcamp. And we have a few of you on the program here with us this evening. We also have people who aren't on the program, but applications are still open. So if you're based in the West Midlands or if you're based in Manchester, we have programs open for application at the moment. So it's very exciting. Every two weeks on the Black Coder Bootcamp, we have empowerment days. And they are days to make sure that everybody can find out more about what it's like being a developer or learn additional skills outside of the standard training and development that they do. The Black Coder Bootcamp is run by two fantastic organizations, one of them being Coding Black Females. Um, and we're an organization to provide opportunities for Black women to enter and progress within the tech industry. And then we also have Neo Enterprise, who are also absolutely amazing. And they're very focused on enabling economic empowerment for Black women. They're also running quite a lot of boot camps at the moment. So they have a data boot camp and an XR boot camp as well. So if there's anything that you want to train or learn, definitely reach out to Neo Enterprise, who will let you know how you can get involved there. Or we also have programs that Code and Black Females open as well at the moment. This evening, we have a very fantastic session. It's our first internal um, Black Coder Empowerment Day this year. So we're very excited about it. And we are going to be discussing life as a developer. We've got three awesome women from the Coding Black Females community. We've got Denise, Isabel, and Malisha. And they're gonna talk about their experiences as a developer. We're gonna have a great conversation. I do want you all to put your questions in the chat if you've got any. So please, 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 if you've got questions along the way, put them in the chat and we'll answer them towards the end. First of all, it would be fantastic if the panelists could introduce themselves. So Denise, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? Where do you work? What do you do? Okay, so I'm Denise, hello. Um, I'm a senior software engineer at Kazoo. Um, I work in the back end. I'm in ops, which means I work with the operations people. So people who um, do all the car servicing and deliver the vehicles that Kazoo sells online to customers. Uh, they use the software that we write in order to do those kind of handovers. Um, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Thank you very much, Isabel. Hey. Um, hi everyone, so I'm Isabel and I'm from Portugal, but I'm living in, um, here in London, UK. So I work as a software engineer uh, at Cobalti and I work mainly with um, Python in the backend. I also do some things on the side. I'm a mentor for Black Coder here. Um, I hope that my mentee is here. Uh, <laughs> I'm also an admin for an open source community called the to be open source. Um, yeah, that's me. Thank you. And Malisha. Hi guys, I'm Malisha, or you can just call me Mel. I am a software engineer at a company called Optimizely. I work in the back end um, and I've been recently um, 
been working with all the um, reliability engineers. So um, my role is to kind of turn into back end now, moving on to DevOps. Um, so I'm huge. I was based in London, but I've moved back to Birmingham now because um, now we're all fully remote. So yeah, that's pretty much me. Thank you very much. And I do love that about being remote. You can just be anywhere and be remote. I'm glad that you got to move back somewhere that you'd rather be. Um, okay, I know that I don't know if you covered it during your introduction, but it'd be great to know just how long each of you have been in your um, development careers. It'd be really handy, I think, for everybody. So yeah, can we just go around the house and, and say how long you've been doing what you do? Um, I can go first. Um, so I've actually moved to a different role. So originally I was an integration developer, and I've been doing that for about nearly two and a half years. And I've just moved into the back end team now. So I've been doing that for about four months. So the whole career has been nearly three, it'll be three years, November. Awesome. Thank you. Isabel? Yeah, I, so. I think I, uh, my first developer job was in 2015. It was a summer internship while I was uh, between my bachelor's degree and master's degree. Uh, so I guess from 2015, uh, but yeah. And then I did some Android in 2016. So yeah, I have been coding professionally since then um, and a little bit before uh, while I was studying. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so <laughs> my years are way older. <laughs> so I uh, graduated university in 2009. Uh, I had to do some quick maths using my calculator. It's been 12 years, um, 12 years. Uh, but I've done, I've done lots of really random stuff. So I'd say that my uh, just doing pure programming, I would say I've probably done five, six years of pure programming. And then the rest of the time is like a lot of technical consulting, which is not really developer work yeah okay awesome thank you that's really i really like the fact that we do have a mix as well um that's fantastic and um, so i think it'd be really useful for people to know especially people who are currently learning um because i guess you're learning how to code but you don't necessarily know what that actually means in a day-to-day -day in the role um could you each talk about maybe from a different perspective so you were all doing slightly different roles what a day in the life looks like for your role. Um, Isabel, when we get to you, it'd be awesome if we could also talk about the open source side of the work you do as well, that'd be great. Um, but Denise, do you wanna talk a bit about what a day in your actual role looks like? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so I'm a, I'm a senior engineer in my team. We only have two senior engineers in the team and everybody else is uh, mid or junior. Um, that kind of means that I do find myself being pulled into miscellaneous meetings during the week to uh, talk about the work we're planning on doing and to um, talk to other teams and you know that kind of cross team collaboration work. Um, so I actually wrote down what my day was like on Tuesday. Uh, my day always starts with stand up. Um, like I don't, I don't necessarily I actually don't start work before stand up. I, I, I get my coffee, you know, muck about on the internet, do a bit of surfing, then stand up starts. Uh, Tuesday, we do our plan for the week. And this is literally when the whole team comes together and looks at what we're planning on getting done that week. It's outside of stand-up because 
stand-up is more of us talking about what we did the day before and what we're planning on doing that day and any blockers and stuff like that plan for the week is more like so this is the goals we have in mind let's, let's let's see where we can get let's come up with a plan for what it is we'd like to achieve this week to be able to say this has been a good week we do a weekly sync which is a, a meeting that we set up where we actually meet with another team um that um that is in our in our area as well uh, now with this whole remote working it's really hard to actually um, connect with teams that that easily you know so we actually schedule time in to sync up with the team that's closest to us and to talk about the things that impact all of us um, you know it's things like you know we've got a new requirement coming in we're going to need you guys to do some work so that's our weekly sync that we do every week uh, after that I had an impromptu tech debt meeting with my team uh, it's a very new team uh, service has only been live for like a month and we have tech debt it's crazy, right? Uh, so we have a meeting, we had a meeting to talk about the tech debt that we introduced because we were in a rush. We're trying to get things done as quickly as possible. Um, and to talk about what, you know, how we can tackle that. Uh, then I had, we pair on everything. So I had an hour pairing session. I had lunch. I had, uh, I do one-on-ones. I had a one-on-one with one of my teammates. It seems a bit weird to have a one-on-one with your teammate, uh, but I find it's a great way to get to know somebody. So her and I like talk about random stuff. We talk about her cats. You know, I talk about how desperately I am dying for my wedding to actually happen. So I'm not, I don't have to stress about it. <laughs> like, but it's like, it's a way for us to connect. I've never, I've never met her in real life, but we have a connection now because, you know, we, we take the time to meet up. And then uh, the rest of the day is pairing. So like writing code, um, you know, doing actual programming work. So it, it's a lot of meeting heavy day for me, but I think at my level, you're going to find yourself, you know, having lots of meetings. Uh, but yeah, there's still a lot of fun development work in, involved. Awesome. Thank you. Someone's asked about tech debt. What is tech debt for people who might not have heard about that before? Oh, tech debt. So tech debt is, <laughs> it's horrible. Tech debt is, is little problems that you leave thinking you're going to sort them out later. Take debt is, is you're tidying up your house and then you think, ah, oh, I really can't be bothered moving the sofa this time. And so you don't move the sofa to vacuum under it. You vacuum everywhere else. That's take debt. Because two months from now, when you finally move that sofa, there's going to be a layer this thick of dust and mud and grime. Take debt is that, but in code. It is the, the little shortcuts that we take in order to get to a, a, an end goal as fast as possible without actually taking the time to do it correctly, to do it right. Because it always takes time to do things correctly. So take debt is the thing, is that it's, it's a debt because you're going to pay for it sooner or later. The next time that your, your, your manager says, oh, we need this new functionality to be put into the app, you're not going to be able to do it as fast or as well because you still have to fix the fact that the app doesn't actually quite, is not written correctly. Maybe you don't have tests. Maybe, you know, it, it's, it's all these little shortcuts that developers take in order to get to an end goal. Um, that mean that the quality of your software is not actually that good. Your software will work, but it's it's written poorly. So that's that's what tech debt is. Thank you. I I do love tech debt. I love that every tech debt backlog that I've ever seen just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. But yeah. <laughs> um, Mel, would you also talk about what a day in the life of your role looks like? Yes. Yes. I I would do. Uh, um, what I did on Tuesday so we work in sprints so every two weeks we my my team and um, the QA team and the reliability team can all come together 
and we discuss okay what exactly um what did we do in like the last sprint what went well what didn't go well okay what can we what we're going to work on for the next two weeks so that was the sprint planning and then um we also had stand up so stand up sort of like 15 minutes to discuss okay how did like the previous day went for our work what we've done um, and the struggles that we we encountered and then after that um i don't yeah I, same with denise i don't really do much work in the morning my my mornings is about my planning and trying to get my mindset and to actually get started for the rest of the day so um i tend to not properly start work about until about 11 half 11 and then i would then have have like a meeting with like one of the senior developers because i'm a junior developer and like this is like my first back-end role um just to discuss about a topic that i've been stuck on um particularly reworking with azure at the moment and there's one task that i've been I just don't understand how it's going to work. Not even my manager knows how to fix it. So I've been, going, I've been working with him, uh, one of my um, teammates. And then it's lunch, and then I come back. And then I tend to do, like, I always book time for, like, an hour to do, like, a research. So that's where I just browse and try and figure out how I can actually solve a problem. And then I just book between two to three hours. That's when I just put my headphones on and start coding away. Um, yeah, that's pretty much my typical day. My day usually just starts, yeah, it's coffee, um, meditation, stand up. If it's a sprint planning, then it'd be a nice sprint planning, pair programming, and then research and encoding. And that's pretty much how my day has been, gets broken down. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, is it, I love the fact that no, you don't start before stand up, by the way. This is, this is sound, this sounds great. I wish I did that. Don't don't tell my boss. Don't don't tell my boss. <laughs> yeah, we won't tell anyone. This is all a secret. It's not on YouTube or anything. It's fine. <laughs> Isabel, how about you? Yeah, so I also uh, do very little before the stand-up. My stand-up is quite early at 9.30. Um, I do my coffee and all that. Uh, and in that stand-up, uh, we usually talk about what we're going to work on that day, how is the status of our current task that we have at hand. Um, and other than that, I would say that a typical day, for example, today I didn't code at all. I'm working on a specific task, which is mostly about investigating. Um, and on that note, I'm not at the senior level and, and I find it really interesting what Denise said because I don't have as much meetings um, as seniors do. So most of my day, sometimes I'll be at meetings that are part of uh, the Scrum methodology that we use, right? Where stand-up is part of, uh, where we do sometimes planning of, hey, during the next two weeks, we'll work on this or that. Uh, grooming to basically triage um, issues that come to my team. Um, and throughout the day, I may do coding or research, investigating a bug, uh, try to find the solution for it, a lot of debugging. Um, yeah, and, and sometimes I also do have catch-ups with specific authors, just like uh, Denise said. 
that's basically it. Um, Great, thank you. And I think it's what it'd be really good to hear about, um, because you've got this whole other open source side mm -hmm. to you as well. Forget about it. It'd be great to hear a bit about that as well. So when you get involved in that, how you get involved in that too, and what it is, even if people don't know. Okay, so open source is this whole thing of, if you find a project on GitHub where you can see the source code, that's probably open source. Uh, whenever I think about open source, I think about also the aspect of collaboration, right? These, um, these projects that have their source code out in the open, usually there's a lot of people contributing to it. And for example, working at a company, I know who my teammates are every day. I know who they are. I have a specific team, a fixed team of people. In open source, anyone can contribute to projects that are out there, contribute with, you know, raising a bug report or contributing with code to it, or helping a maintainer, who usually is the person who manages the open source project, um, triage issues. Um, I could go on and on about this, but um, I do open source things out of work. This is something I do on my spare time, and usually people who contribute to open source is during their spare time, both contributors or maintainers who manage the projects. Um, yeah, and some of the things that I do, because I mostly participate as a maintainer, I, uh, I have a specific project that has like two repositories, a backend and a Kotlin mobile app. Uh, and I have to triage issues, review code. I forgot to say that. Also on my day-to-day, -day, if a colleague of mine creates a pull request, so submits the work that they have for a task, I'll be reviewing um, uh, the code because usually, um, that work that the person is submitting won't go to the main source code without at least X reviews. In our case, usually it's two reviews. So I also do a lot of code review as part of my day-to-day. -day. Um, but yeah, in open source, uh, in this case, I act mostly as a maintainer. Sometimes I contribute to other projects, uh, but it's very small contributions because most of my um, bandwidth in open source is allocated for the project I'm maintaining. Um, yeah, and I try to help people get started with open source by, you know, here's a couple of issues. No one is working on them. Do you want to work on that? Uh, and review work throughout that. Yeah, that's a gist. I didn't want to take up too much time of this with open source, but um, yeah, that's a thing that I do on spare time and anyone can do because open source is for everyone in tech, not just developers. Awesome, thank you. Um, I love, I love how excited you got as soon as you started speaking about open source. I love how much you love open source. It's amazing. <laughs> that's me. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, and that's really useful. I think it would actually be fantastic if somebody were able to elaborate a little bit on um, pair programming. So all of you kind of mentioned doing some pair programming, and that's something that people might not have done before. Um, how does that differ to when you, I think Mel, you said that you did pair programming, then later in the day you do some coding. Um, what's the difference for you? And Denise, like when you're doing pair programming, are you doing it from a from a supportive side, or are you um, are you sort of driving and navigating as well? If you know what I mean, it'd be really good to hear some perspective on that too. Mel, did you want to? Yeah. Yeah, I start. Um, so with me, because I'm still a junior in the back end team. Um, so I tend to work with Vayu Kosam, who's like a senior engineer. 
And for me, it's just when I do program, program, prayer, prayer programming, it kind of helps boost my confidence a little bit more. So I understand it from like a senior perspective because you might that you might start writing a code and you think, oh, it's perfect, and then someone will be looking at it like, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's not right. <laughs> so it it kind of helps me to understand it from someone who's got a, bit, a lot more experience for me and how they approach a certain problem. And so therefore, I tend I like to do that before I start doing my own coding because I still have that kind of fresh in my mind. And I think, okay, no, I might think it'd be easier to do it this way, but actually it will, from the, the session I had in the morning, that it might be it might be like another way how to tackle a problem and there's or there's another way how to write a, write your code and make it a bit like, a lot better so for me it's just it's kind of like it's we don't have like a proper program in my company but it's it's called i call it unofficial mentorship that's what i kind of use it for yeah. that sounds awesome thank you and then denise from a I guess from a senior perspective, like how do you view pair programming? What is it? Uh, so for us, uh, we pair first. So we always pair on everything that we work on. Uh, pair programming is, is, I mean, it's two people working on the same story, on the same piece of work. We're writing code together. Uh, we use tools online with our um, IDEs. We take, uh, we have this, um, I think it's something that you just install and it, you can swap, you take turns to write code. And um, at Kazoo, at least my team as well, we TDD, so we do test-driven development. You write your test first, then you write the code that, that um, makes the test pass. Um, so for me, pairing is just a uh, <laughs> backstory. I actually switched to come into this company. So I used to be a Java developer, and now I'm writing mostly in TypeScript and React, which I hadn't encountered until I joined the company. And so for pairing for me as a senior is fantastic because I get to learn how to write TypeScript and how to use React, right? Um, so uh, we do have, uh, it, it, the style is a little bit different. Sometimes one person drives, as in they, the person was writing the code, um, you know, for like the whole day. And the other person is, is mostly watching and commenting and explaining what this will be written next and planning for future work that needs to be written, keeping track of any issues that you have come across that need to be solved. So the whole driver navigator is, um, is, is interesting. Sometimes we do pairing in a uh, swapping turns. So uh, you, have, you, you write a test and then the next person, no, you write a failing test, TDD, and then the next person writes the code that makes the test pass. And they write a, the next failing test and then you swap and then you write the code that makes that test pass and you write a failing test and so forth. Um, sometimes if it's, if it's gonna be something that's gonna take a while, um, we, uh, we time it. So we say 10 minutes, I'll be driving, I'll be writing the code and then we swap and 10 minutes, the next person will be. So it's, it's really, really flexible depending on how we feel like. But pairing is, is great. Like it makes you like, write better code because it stops you from taking shortcuts. For me, um, especially I find it's very hard to talk to technical people about technical concepts on, on the appropriate level. So using the correct terminology um, and it's something that you have to learn to do because otherwise people don't think you don't, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Um, so I, for me, pairing is also an exercise with, with very, very junior people who don't write code very much is an exercise in me learning how to correctly talk about the code 
and to talk about the, the, the design and everything in the, the appropriate, using the appropriate terminology, which is great. I, um, it forces me to really learn my concepts and to really understand them because you only really learn if you're teaching. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's, that's pairing for us, but it's really good. Like it's, it's, it's really fantastic. I, I wish more people did it because I think people worry that they're slowing the team down if you're pairing, if you're very junior, but it's actually not the case. I think I write way better code when I'm pairing with someone who's really junior than when I'm pairing with senior people because we tend to take shortcuts. You know, we take the piss. We're like, ah, oh, we could do this there. And, you know, but whereas with a junior person, you're more considered and thoughtful in your approach. Uh, yeah, that's me, I'm pairing. <laughs> yeah, I, I can completely get that. I know that if, if I had a developer watching me write code or being with me when I write code, it wouldn't be the awful code that I write. I write terrible code. And I, and I tell every junior person who ever sees it, I'm like, do not, don't learn from me. <laughs> because I'm awful. Um, Isabel, it would be great to hear your perspective because I know that because you worked a lot with the students last year as well. Um, I think we've spoken here a lot about a senior working with a junior or vice versa. How do you think it could work from a junior to a junior perspective, given what you saw last year? Like, anything that could be really beneficial for the students who might want to pair program with each other on the boot camp? Um, yeah, I, I really like the idea of pair programming. Uh, I agree with what said just now. And I think um, no matter the position, there's always something that's like, you know, there's what I know, what the other person knows. There's like an intersection here. So there's always things that the other person can learn with this person. Sometimes things that I learned during pair programming sessions is how the person has their development environment configured. What is the terminal that they use? What is uh, the shell that they use? Um, type of terminal, all those things. Sometimes I learned these by, oh, so this is actually how you figure out these uh, parts of the code so quickly because you have I know this extension, this extension. So uh, no matter what the, the experience is, I think there's always some benefit in, um, you know, being in a session with someone and working together on an issue and not just in terms of learning how the other person works physically uh, typing and things like that, but also how they problem solve. Um, yeah, I, I think there's always things to add uh, from both parties. That there's no people who know the exact same. That's how I feel. Awesome, thank you. So there's always something to gain, no matter who you're working with. I think you can even gain from somebody who, well, from my experience, you can gain from somebody who doesn't even know how to code or know technology because you can talk something through with them and then it might prompt something with you or they might take something from the real world and you're like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. So there's always something you can gain from pair programming or from working alongside somebody else in the problem, I reckon. Um, okay, I'm gonna ask you all to go back in time, some further back in time than others. <laughs> Sorry, Denise. <laughs> um, can we have, can people know how, what your route was into the industry? Um, I guess what I'm trying to understand here or trying to see here is for people who are currently, you know, going through a coding bootcamp or going through different paths, like what routes have you all taken to get into the industry? And does it lend itself well to what everybody else is doing at the moment on the bootcamp, you know? Um, yeah, what routes have you taken? Shall I go first? Because mine, yeah, mine's, <laughs> mine's a while ago. <laughs> I, I am proud to be turning 35, by the way. I am excited. <laughs> Uh, so my route in, into the industry was interesting. I 
I went to university thinking that I didn't know what I wanted to study. So I, I went to university in New Zealand. I signed up for uh, health sciences, which is a year that you do at uni, which prepares you to either get into medicine or dentistry or pharmacy, any, any science, um, science related um, subject. It literally starts with health sciences. Um, and then a couple of weeks in, I realized I don't really like the idea of working with sick people. And there was um, some dissections involved and I was like, you know what, this is not for me. <laughs> so I changed degrees. I, I started again and I picked up my software engineering degree and I kind of just ran with it. So mine's a boring entry into, into software engineering. I, I did it at university. Yeah. Cool, thank you. Isabel? Uh, I also got into university for a slightly different route than software engineering. I went to do computer networks. When I was in high school, I didn't know exactly where I would fit myself. So I just thought, oh, technology, this sounds interesting. Let me go there. I like mathematics. Uh, and so university, computer networks. However, the course was actually 70% computer science, you know, a match. Um, but I understood even doing computer networks that I liked coding. So that's the route I chose to go. And then, you know, the first uh, time I was paid for coding was with a summer internship. And that's where I really knew that, uh, oh, I actually really like this. And coding is not just, you know, writing code. There's so many other things that you don't learn at university. Um, that I learned from getting my hands on in the industry. Um, yeah, so there was that. So yeah, it was the path through university. However, there's a few things that I knew that I kind of had to do because I felt that what I was learning in university, very good. I'm very grateful for what I learned about database modeling and things like that, because it's clearly from the course, one of the courses that subjects that I took there. Um, but I also understood that I had to do a couple of other things. For example, me getting into this open source thing, uh, you know, it really bootstrapped um, the things that I do now outside of working time. Um, and also, you know, complements what I do at work. It brings me a new perspective to things. Um, yeah, I just, I just want to say, I also came from the university route, um, but I did try to start um, you know, learning outside of college while I was still in college, because I noticed that, okay, there's some gaps here between what the industry actually is and what the university tells you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, Mel, what was your route? And my route is kind of slightly different. So I graduated back in 2013. I did a degree in psychology. Um, back then I wanted to become an occupational psychologist and work within like leadership and management. And then um, I, went, I got a job working within digital marketing. Um, I went from like a digital, digital content to a CRO. And there was this issue in my company where they were starting to, uh, a lot of the, the engineers left and they were starting to outsource um, a lot of our work. And I'm, I, 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 I I've been told I don't really have a lot of patience. So there was like one task I asked them to do and it took them, I think it was like just changing a drop down option on the form. And then they gave me a bill, it was like 2000 pounds. And I was just like, 
I know, just know, I'll never do that again. So I started teaching myself via free code camp. And, and what a lot of the, uh, there was one engineer left in the company and she started to notice that I was actually teaching myself how to code. And she spoke to my manager and she persuaded him that I will work with her as a front-end engineer for like three months. So I did that for three months and then I went back to my old position and then I just realised actually I didn't want to do this anymore. So I told my manager that I was, I was going to leave and then I went back to uni, did my master's in computer science and then optimised as my first development job. Oh, I absolutely love that. It's a great route. Yeah. I love that it was almost born out of frustration at the high cost of, of other developers. <laughs> so you become one. That's amazing. I love that. Thank you so much. And um, I think what I really wanted to, to get out of that was that there are different routes into technology, I suppose, as well. Um, I When I started Coding Black Females, I always thought that the only route in was just go to university. Like, that was it. That's all I'd ever seen. And that's how I got in, if you know what I mean. That was, it felt very normal. And then I got to meet loads of people who had done boot camps and I was like, what is this boot camp thing? It sounds amazing. And it's just, it is actually like a really, it's a good alternative to learn what they actually use in industry. I think that university is great because it gives you that foundation, no knowledge, I suppose, the theory side. And then the boot camps give you the, the practical side. And it's probably about, you know, at some point, trying to tally that up together like you know do some of that theory at some point but it's definitely um definitely there's definitely a lot of routes in a lot more ways to get into the industry than I'd ever imagined especially the idea that you can do the self-learning side as well I love that you did that <laughs> that's fantastic um okay so with that in mind so you kind of you ordered this you started your first job you got in what did you think it was going to be like did you think you were going to be like this really cool person with a, I don't know, a cool coding t-shirt, coding and drinking coffee and then coding at the weekends and being really cool. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I think it's like. Um, <laughs> what, did, what were your expectations? How did you think it was going to be? I mean, I thought I knew everything because mm -hmm. I'd read the book from front to back and it was, um, it was some kind of course level book that it was like a Java five book. So I did all, I did all the exercises and I finished it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be writing code. I, I don't know. I mean, that's what I thought. I had no idea. I had no expectations. I think at the time I didn't have a community like this where I could meet people who actually were doing that job. So I had zero expectation. I had nobody in the industry who I knew, how I knew I could ask questions about it. And so it was, it was hard, it was hard. And also I went into banking, which you know, is this whole beast. <laughs> I love that. I remember that feeling of thinking I knew everything. And then I started on day one and I was like, oh, I can do nothing. I think I cried for about six months, it was great. <laughs> um, what about you, Isabel? What were your expectations? What do you think it was gonna be like? Yeah, actually, I also didn't have many expectations because I was doing bachelor's and I knew I was about to do master's. Um, however, I did think of this summer I want to do a summer internship. So I didn't have expectations before that, but I did have expectations after because when I did the summer internship in the startup, I understood that, oh, so during the day to day, it's not just coding. It's also reviewing other people's work, writing tests documentation, 
meetings. So I didn't have expectations in the beginning, but once I did that summer internship, that kind of showed me the expectations up front, like, okay, so these are best practices. Um, and, and throughout that, because of that, I, you know, I could see in future jobs, oh, they're not applying these uh, best practice. I've been in jobs where code review wasn't a thing. So yeah, I didn't have expectations at the beginning, but I, I started getting it when I started getting hands-on. And, and I got the summer internship because I, I, I felt I needed to stand out a little bit and I wanted to gain experience, you know, to be a little bit, you know, ahead. Um, yeah, but in the beginning, I didn't have much. It, it's, I learned when I got hands-on. I was just like, okay, I'm doing the course. I know I will code in the job that I take next. Um, but yeah, I, I learned through doing it. Okay. Um, for me, I, I, I did have a, a bit before I went to uni. I did have a little bit of experience of about what it's like to work with engineers. And I, I, I remember seeing my, my back then I was thinking oh these guys are really cool like all they ever do is like sit down they just have their headphones on just comb the way you know they have like some weird uh, like scientific chat talk to each other in in the I used to call it the coding language back then because I didn't have a clue what the hell what they were talking about and then I went back to, to uni I I thought I knew everything and then I remember my first week at my job I was just like uh, did I make the right choice? <laughs> I, I don't know nothing at all. Um, but um, yeah, so I think I had like really high, not high expectation, but my I thought uh, engineers were just like these geniuses back then, and now I'm actually one of them. I'm just like, no, we just Google everything, and <laughs> that's how we would get by each day. Absolutely. Google, I don't I don't know how we would do it without Google. It's just it would be impossible. <laughs> um okay. So it'll be really good now to get a bit of insight into the different languages you've all you all kind of work with. Um I know you've mentioned Denise, you've mentioned Java a bit, Denise. Um, but it'd be good to know, you know, the languages you work with, but then also how have you used your knowledge of one language to adapt to another? Um, because I think that's going to become really valuable because whilst you might know one, someone could throw something else at you straight away and it's like, how do you cope? So how do you, what languages do you know, but then how have you adapted to other languages when you needed to? Yeah, so a big driver in me kind of leaving my previous job and moving into this one was because I needed to challenge myself. I literally only been doing Java and I did a little PHP, a little bit of Ruby. Um, a lot of XSLT, which is like a transformation language for XML. <laughs> and um, I, I found myself just being like being asked this question, like, oh, what languages do you know? And I'm like, oh, Java. I, I, I needed I needed a change. So right now, you know, I'm doing a bit of TypeScript. Um, and it's, it's been really hard, actually, to be to be fair. I'm struggling in picking up TypeScript. I'm finding it really difficult to to kind of to to learn react as well so it's like two things i'm learning and i've got a lot of like imposter syndrome because 
you know, I'm supposed to be the senior person in the team, you know, the one with all the technical direction, but like, you know, the more junior people can run rings around me when it comes to some of the, the intricacies of the language, right? Um, so for me, like, I, I am, I'm trying to fork out time in my week to do um, self-directed study because yeah, practice makes perfect, like, like literally practice makes perfect. The more you code, the better you're gonna get. The more you challenge yourself, the better you're gonna get. Um, so to be honest, like this question is hard for me because I'm, I'm not doing well in that, in that arena. I, I need to put a lot more effort into it, a lot more work in order to get to that level where I can be, I can call myself a polyglot. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'd definitely say that mostly, you know, my background is Java. TypeScript, I, I, I can write anything in any language ultimately because I've got that base, that core concept, right? So I can look at a language and I can be like, I know what I'm trying to do. Let me look it up online. And I have got the words in order to describe the thing I'm trying to do in a technical way in order to do the search for it. So you can give me something that's written in a weird language and I could probably figure out how to make it do something extra. Uh, my issue is starting from scratch. So if you give me a blank page and say, write this in this random language, then that's when I have troubles. But I can always troubleshoot and you know debug and add extra functional lighting features because I have that single language behind me. Yeah. I'll do better, I promise. <laughs> that makes sense though, because it's essentially using you're using your existing knowledge to know what to think about in the other language. Yeah. Yeah. What to search for. Yeah. There's been times where I'm pairing with one of my teammates and I'm like, I know what I'm trying to do. I can do this in Java. Why can't you do it in TypeScript? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Like there's, there's certain nuances, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, Mel, how about you? Have you, how have you found adapting to languages and what are you using at the moment? Um, so when I was at uni, I really taught Java. And then my first job, I was kind of thrown to the deep end. So I had to learn Scala, Groovy, the JavaScript. And that was a that was a very that was a bit tough. And then now on the backend team, I'm having to learn Ruby, Terraform, and yeah, but that's it. And then as a side project, I'm trying to learn Flutter as well. So it is it's quite a lot a lot of different languages I think with me because I have that core base of Java it kind of I I just need to think of if someone gave me like a blank screen blank screen down my head can you actually write this I kind of I kind of figure out I don't know what it is but I kind of think okay how, this is how I would write it in Java but it's going to be syntax is going to be slightly different and how if it's like that like Scarlet's a functional language, so you you have to write to write a bit slightly different. Um, at the beginning, it can be quite difficult, and then there are times where I'm just thinking I can't do this, but I just, I just always constantly push myself, and I try to if like when I was like, when I first started my job, I never I didn't even know what Groovy I didn't even know Groovy even exists. Um, so every time I went home, I did like like mini side projects just to help boost my confidence a bit more. Okay, yeah, thanks. I think it's really important as well to, that's alongside that whole, you know, practice makes perfect thing, right? Where if you don't know something, the only, almost the only way you're going to get better at it is to just throw yourself in and do loads of it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Isabel, how about you? Totally, I, I think it, 
that sums up everything. Um, I've uh, throughout college, I uh, I've worked mainly with Java. However, um, summer internship was in PHP, but I never did PHP after that, for example. Um, so I had to adapt. Uh, then I did a little bit of Python, and then I went back to Java, and then a little a little bit of JavaScript. I think what's important is like the foundation and the core concepts. You know, you can do with every language. I think loops and you know assigning variables and all the other core concepts. So Google and tutorials and all that helps a lot. Also, there was a particular time where I was learning Kotlin, which I really liked. I don't use it much now, but I really like it. And the way I actually learned was uh, I need to learn Kotlin for a job. And there was an ex-colleague that he really wanted to people learn Kotlin. I did a little app, a little mobile app uh, to list movies on a screen. And I did it with Kotlin and he would review my pull request. He would review my code. Uh, it's all on GitHub, it's in Portuguese, but it's there. Uh, but that was a great way for me to, because I can search on tutorials, but not know, you know, the best practice. It's not easy to gauge that. I can, I can search how to do a loop, how to do this, but uh, that person helped me. We didn't do pair sessions, but he reviewed my code. So it was more of a, a synchronous communication. He would leave comments saying, hey, maybe use that because of X, Y, and Z reason. Um, so that was one time that I learned a new language. Um, but I would say practice makes perfect. For example, now if I wanted to learn how to use Go, the language Go, I would come up with a project and only use that language. So I would Google, I would search uh, whether YouTube or tutorials, blog posts, all of that. Um, and that's how I would learn. Um, but yeah, the, the important part is really the foundation. And, and then you also have these programming paradigms, right? Like object-oriented. I was used to that in, with Java. Uh, we used to do, we'll, we do a little bit of that at work with Python. But there was also a time last year where I was learning functional programming for another job with Scala. And, you know, again, it's the concepts. You can do functional programming with other languages other than Scala. Um, so yeah, foundations and practice, and that's the important piece. I think anyone can adapt uh, to any language. They, they all do the job, yeah. Awesome, thank you. Um, yeah, it sounds like you've all done quite a lot. <laughs> and then the way you learn is by doing more coding. So you just code at the time to learn how to code. That's fine. Um, yeah, I think I remember when I um, first finished uni, I'd just done Java. And then my first job, it was I had to use this thing called um, BPEL, which is like business process execution language. And it was all in XML. And they were like, this is your job. And I was like, but I know Java. <laughs> so it was like XML, XLT. And that was all I did for a year. And then I was like the company's subject matter expert because nobody else in the company had ever done it before. And it was it was fun, but also horrendous at the same time. Um, but then I literally had to, I made myself have to build loads of things at home in that so that I could understand it because it was just really hard otherwise. Like you just have to throw yourself in, I think 
to one learn the thing you're trying to learn but then to learn those the other language of the other concepts and um, yeah it's really interesting it's really interesting to hear that you've all essentially had the same experience as well because I think that's life as a developer if you know what I mean and that's what you go through um so I guess in general as a developer and it can be focused on languages it can be focused on um your role and and everything that you're doing um to progress but how are you setting yourselves up for success what do you do to to be successful in the role that you do uh, Mel. Oh, Denise, you've just unmuted. Go, Denise. I just, because I'm right next to you, so I just assume we're going to go in like a sequence, which doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Um, so I, I actually wrote this down because I, I think uh, I didn't want to make it up too much because I, I ramble. So the things I'm trying to do to set myself up for success, I, I'm trying to know where I want to go. So I, <laughs> I'm going to completely like destroy my own list of things by, by saying this, but I thought I wanted to be a principal engineer. And so I was like, I wanna be a principal engineer. Uh, I thought I knew why, because I thought I wanted to be really, really technical and you know come up with like a higher abstraction of like where the company should go in terms of the software architecture. Uh, I talked to a lot of people who are senior, sorry, who are principal engineers about what they do as a job. Um, and like I told them that I wanted to steal their jobs as well. Um, so they, there's very, very directly, like I would like to do your job, please help me do that. Um, and then I made some serious objectives that were gonna set me on the path to becoming a principal engineer because I do not want to stagnate and I did not want to get too comfortable. Um, but in my journey into learning how to be kind to myself, I realized I absolutely love being a senior engineer in my team. I love writing code most of the time. I love building things. So I'm going to take a step back towards from trying to get to that principle. But in order to get to where I am right now, those are the practices I did. I always knew what I was aiming to get to. Before I became a senior, I was literally printed out what the guidelines were for promoting someone to senior. And I started filling them in with examples of the work that, that I had done in order to get me there. And so I knew exactly what I was missing. I talked to the people who were... The, the, the you know, people promoting people, the people who were in those conversations about the fact that I wanted to be there to, you know, to get promoted, to get to that level. And I told them that I wasn't ready yet, but I wanted to get there. And I told them what my timeline was. I was like, look, next year is where I want to I be there. So tell me what I need to do now in order to figure out so that I don't, I'm not surprised. I don't like work surprises. If I'm doing a bad job, I want to be told earlier so I can fix it. Um, I, I, I was a woman on a mission. So I, I pushed really hard, but it, it's worked. But now I'm, now I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I really love what I'm doing. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love the idea of knowing what you want, but telling people what you want so that they can support you on that journey. And um, I think it's so important to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Isabel, <laughs> this is really hard to choose who goes next every time. <laughs> no we, we'll all talk. Um, yeah. Yeah, when I thought about this question, actually, um, yeah, like it, it's something I struggle with. Honestly, I, um, I think last year was a learning opportunity for me to understand all of these, because um, I was at a point where I was made redundant from a job, and then I had to go through interviews and get a new job. You know? And from that point, I was like, oh, 
this can happen at any time, at any job. I have to be prepared. I have to understand what I want to, you know, go next. I have to have goals and things like that. So since last year, a couple of things I have been doing to, yeah, to try to set myself for success, surrounding myself. That started in 2019, by the way, but I have been more intentional about the things that I do. Surrounding myself with, you know, people who support me, uh, you know, mentors or people who can just listen to me and I can vent a little bit and then, you know, continue. <laughs> um, so yeah, trying to get people who support being communities that I feel supported. Um, I take a lot of notes. The way I work is I take a lot of notes and I look at those notes. Uh, I, you know, I cement the knowledge by writing, but I also sometimes go back to those notes and I try to work as transparently as I can. I want for people to know what I'm doing. So one of the things that I do is something I learned with open source is try to do things in public. No asking things in private messaging because other people can learn from that as well. And I hope that other people do that as well so I can learn from them. And all of these little things I, I think help me set myself for success, uh, you know, so I can learn and not always be dependent on always bugging someone about something I want to know. Um, yeah, so doing things in public, take a lot of notes. I really like what Denise said about, you know, saying out loud where I want to go. And since last year, I, I, had the, I, had, I have this target. I have this target. I want to know how can I one day become a senior? Uh, so I also try to take notes of that of, okay, this is what a senior does, you know, not just being good at coding, but their posture and their problem solving. And um, so yeah, I, I, I know where I want to go. I research about it. I talk with people about it. Um, yes, and that's how I try to set myself for first step. And when people who support you are around you, um, they'll help you get there. They'll help you get there, give you advice, you know, so you don't go the wrong path. Um, and I think all those things contribute and doing things in public. That's it. Thank you. Mel. Um, I kind of to echo with Denise, I'm the type of person that always knows what I want. And one thing I realized, especially in my company, if you don't ask, you don't get. And so, I, so I'm actually on this path right now. So I recently had a meeting, a creative, a creative talk with my manager and he was asking me, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to get to, I want to be a, C, I want to be a software engineer level two by end of Q2 next year. <laughs> I think he kind of he was a bit he, he was like a bit harder because usually the guys don't really they moan about something but they never actually go and ask the manager for like okay I want I feel like I want to progress so I think maybe I'll pop to the first person to actually said that to him and he was like okay um so I asked them because we've got like a new level system in our company. So I asked, okay, I know that I'm on level one. What is that? What is it exactly that I need to do to get to level two? And he's just recently given me like the bullet point list of like the things that is needed to get to level two. So hopefully this weekend I can get go through it, and then I'm going to start doing like a plan what I need to do, like kind of achieve per month to actually get to that level so by the time um q2 comes i can say to my manager okay um this is what uh, is required and this is what i have actually delivered so that's my aim 
Perfect. I love it. I love it. Completely outline it, do a bit of a gap analysis, fill the gaps, get the role. Like, that's it, get the job. Well, we might as well crack open the champagne. You're there. Yeah, 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 yeah. you're going to get it. No way. No way. You are all fantastic. I think you're all amazing. Thank you so much. You've been so inspirational. Um, we're not finished yet. Don't worry. I'm not wrapping up. I'm just about to ask you for your um, your recommendations, really. Any tips, any tricks, anything like that that you could give to the people who are listening, to the students, to other members from Coding Black Females. And then we will go on to ask the questions that have been coming in on the chat. But yeah, do you have any recommended recommendations or tips for uh, um, the listeners? Denise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... I'm going to just pick random stuff that I've noticed in the last couple of months um, that juniors have done and I've been like, what the hell? Um, if you have to post, if you're posting something in the company work channel, company Slack or company messaging channel, and you have to prefix it with NSFW, not safe for work, do not post it in the company work channel. That, I feel like juniors have not been told this and therefore it has to be said out loud right? Don't do it. Uh, don't get drunk at work parties if you're a junior. Try not to have um, angry conversations with your managers when you are drunk at work parties. <laughs> small little junior things I feel like people don't actually talk about. Um, if you encounter any kind of harassment or discrimination at work, there are people available who will help you through it. Right, so don't suffer in silence. Don't go to, 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 to team activities and like training and stuff like that and then feel like, oh, I've been mistreated and then not say anything about it because some of these opportunities you're being given as a junior are important and it's important that you get the, the opportunity to experience them as well without actually just suffering through them. So if you're finding yourself not being listened to in meetings or you're being ignored in, the, in the, you know, the, these activities that are supposed to be giving you training, speak up, talk to your manager, talk to someone who's senior who you trust. Don't suffer in silence because it means they're robbing you of an opportunity to learn, which is actually quite useful. Everything else, just look it up on the internet. Like literally that is, there is any, every question that I've, been, that I've seen on this channel here, it's, it's going to have someone talking about it on the internet and you're going to have both sides to everything. So it really is just about how you feel. Um, yeah. Thank you. I needed all of that advice four years ago. <laughs> oh man, same here. Lessons hard learned, people. Lessons hard learned. Made quite a few mistakes. It's fine. We're here now. <laughs> Isabel, how about you? Your recommendations and tips? I was not expecting those tips, Denise, but if someone needs to hear them, you know, I'm glad you're here to say that. Um, okay, so yeah, I wrote about these two. I feel about them very strongly, which is two of them, which are kind of mixed, but get involved and contribute to the developer community, okay? For example, nobody told me that when I was at university that there could be a community out there. It was a colleague who went with me to the first meetup and I was like, oh, so people do these things. This was back in Portugal, right? Um, so get involved by joining meetups, communities, you know, coding black females, black developers, ladies of code, there's so many out there, women who code, uh, and not just 
get there, but also try to give back because that's how these communities are useful. If you don't give back, if no one gives back, um, is it really a community? So think about these things. Uh, also, when I say get involved with the community, you know, if you can, if you feel like it, think about blog posts, public speaking, contributing to open source. We benefit so much from, you know, open source projects or tutorials that we see uh, online that someone took the time to write them. Uh, you know, public speaking, sharing knowledge, all, all of the panel here, uh, you know, we're here trying to share advice and we're getting involved with the community through this, um, you know. Uh, and then the other thing is, uh, it's very specific, but maximize your out the output of the things you do while it's fresh. Uh, my most popular blog post that it's how to undo the last commit. I wrote this when I had to revert a commit about three times. And I was like, I gotta put this into writing. And because one of, you know, my most popular in terms of has many hits on Medium. And there's so many opportunities that can come out there from you being public about the things you learn, teaching others, because when you write a blog post, you're teaching other people. Uh, and what I mean by maximize the output is, you're doing a project, you're learning a new language. Write a blog post. You can think about blog posts about it or talk about it, you know, but try to maximize because, you know, a talk reaches an audience, a blog post reaches another audience. The open source project on GitHub reaches another audience. There's so many opportunities that come, can come from that if you get involved, if, you know, people know, oh, yeah, she knows a lot about Python or she knows a lot about backend. I always, I'm always learning something new with her blog posts. Um, yeah, that's the recommendation that I have. Thank you very, very much. Fantastic. Always fantastic. Thank you. And Mel, how about you? Um, one of them is don't be too harsh on yourself. Um, when you first start or get into a new role, there's going to be like um, developers in you who are absolutely amazing in what they do. And you probably start feel like actually I don't I don't think I I would ever get to get to that level. But you also have to also remind yourself that everyone started at the same at the same space. So don't try to always compare yourself with someone who's got X amount of years experience in you. Just always try and focus on yourself. Um, another thing I think which is what is I'm kind of echoing and what Isabel saying is what I call it show your work. So any problems that you uh, encounter that work, and this is something that I, I'm actually planning and I'm doing on Medium is just do like a blog post and then trying to teach other people. Because if you, you, you might think that you're the only person that's like encountering this problem, but then there's going to be loads of people out there who's going to, who's will or will eventually encounter the same problem that you um, been gone through. And another thing, last one is don't ever feel about this is for me personally for me don't ever feel comfortable at your job always try to push yourself always try to know your limit but don't get too comfortable that the company will will kind of overlook you always say okay actually no i want to get involved with this i want to get involved in this project or we've got a um I forgot it was uh, like, a, like a day 
So I'm going to speak to another partner in R&D who I've never spoken to and I'm trying to do a work with them. Just make sure that the other people in the organisation will know your face. So just always trying to push yourself because I feel like some, maybe the guys really, a lot of the guys are not lazy, but they just, they, they don't really push themselves, they like to complain a lot. Notice. It was moan, but then won't do anything about it. Whereas I, I'm not a moaner. Uh, just like, okay, if I'm not happy with something, I need some, I need to fix it right now. So that's the, that's my advice. Amazing. Thank you. Fantastic advice from all of you, which is absolutely fantastic. Okay, now I'm gonna ask the questions in the chat. I know that some of them have been answered, but I'm gonna ask them anyway, just so that we can um, cover them in discussion format. Um, we have a question from Sharon. Um, what skills and knowledge are you looking for in junior developers? Denise and Isabel, that was directed to. Um, Denise, like, what, what are you looking for in junior developers? Um, uh, lack of secrecy. So if you are assigned a task that is difficult and you're really struggling, don't not say anything for three days and then be like, oh, I couldn't do it, <laughs> right? If you get stuck and I'm like, you're stuck, you're like, I can't fix this, I need help. Um, when you come and ask me for help, actually tell me what it is you did to try and fix it. Show me that you actually went on the internet and looked things up and tried things out um, in order to try and fix it yourself. And if you couldn't do it, that's okay. Cause you know, I, not everybody knows everything, right? Chances are you're gonna ask me something and I'm gonna have to look it up as well. But what I, what I like to see in junior developers is that kind of proactive searching for answers by themselves. Um, that, that is amazing because then when they come to me and they're like, oh, actually I've tried this and it didn't work. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know that was a thing you could try out. You know, like it's, it, it, there's so much in energy that junior developers bring to a team because of just how much they still need to know and how much they, you know, they, they're kind of figuring out. So we, we learn a lot from that as well. But I think definitely like a lack of secrecy and a willingness to try things out um, and to, to research on their own before coming and asking questions. Also, they need to come and ask questions. If you get stuck, come and tell me. <laughs> like that's what I'm also looking for that in a, in a junior developer. Don't, don't be quiet, don't, don't worry. It's okay to make mistakes. Don't try to hide mistakes. It's, it's, you know, it's a learning thing, you know, work is, work is hard if you're trying to be sneaky. <laughs> I completely hear that. I always say to juniors as well, try to time box how long you're going to suffer for. So maybe it's an hour, maybe it's a day, maybe it's, it depends on your team and how you're working and, and how much time you've got available, but time box it. Say that you've got a bit of time to actually try before you then, um, but then it, it also means you're not stuck for two weeks and no one ever found out about it. Um, Isabel, did you have any insight on that as well? Anything that you look for in junior developers? I don't have much... Uh, on that front because I usually I, I I'm trying to look up like I sometimes struggle with asking for help I struggle with a lot last year but uh, you know I figured out how to work with my team and understand oh I can do this and I'll get you know the help that I need if I do it like this or like that mm -hmm. uh, so I don't have much anything that I would say would be very biased of me of you know I like to take notes I would like for other people to take notes as well uh, <laughs> but when like the important thing I think is, you know, if someone teaches you something, I would say take notes because memory, I can never trust it. Uh, 
so that you don't have to ask much more times again. I'm not saying you never ask again, but you know, you have something you can refer to and maybe next time you don't have to, you know, hey colleague, can you help me again on this issue you already teach me about but I completely forgot and didn't take notes of? Um, so yeah, I may have these thoughts that come from how I work usually. But yeah, what Denise said is perfectly aligned. Forget what I said, what Isabel said is actually it, right? Take notes, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Mel, you've already answered this question in the chat, but it'd be good to discuss it a bit as well. Um, Aneka asked about what would you advise to younger or college students who are interested in software? Should they do a boot camp, an apprenticeship after sixth form or go to university? Should they be self-taught? Like what, um, what would you advise to people? It's really up to them and then also based on their um, the opportunities and experience. Um, looking back, I don't get me wrong, I appreciate the fact that I did my master's in computer science, but if I if I knew what I know now, I probably wouldn't have gone back to uni. I'd probably just stay, I'd probably stay the self-taught route and maybe do like a boot camp. So it's really up to you. Um, a lot of companies are now realising that you don't need a degree to become a software engineer. So um, especially like a lot of big companies, they and um, they want to see okay, what have you, what part, like side projects have you done? I mean, especially at my job, my well, my manager back then wasn't even interested in what I learned at uni. He wanted to know. I think I started to teach myself Go Lang. He wanted to know about that. He wanted to know all about my the projects I've done on my GitHub. So. Um, and like I say, it's really it's really down to you what you prefer. I think from the, the other reason why I went to uni because I think I just wanted like a break from work, so I, I had like a whole year off and I just could focus on studying. But yeah, it's 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 based on your personal circumstances. Really, it's up to you. Thank you, um, Denise. So Maya asked what resource um you would find was good for learning TypeScript. Yeah, so I answered a little bit. I'm, I, like I said, I'm also kind of struggling in that space and trying to pick up this language. Um, so I, I'm a book learner. So I need to read a book in order to, to, to kind of retain information. I need, I need the basics. So I've been reading the, uh, I, I need to look it up online, but find me on LinkedIn and I can tell you what book it was, but it's just something I bought online on TypeScript. And it starts from scratch, explains what TypeScript is and how it links to JavaScript and all that sort of stuff. Um, but there are people who do like katas, so it's like a little coding exercise, like that, you know, you write a little bit of code that does a particular thing. Um, or you can, there's websites available where you can actually practice writing code. So there's lots of, there's lots of resources online. It just kind of depends on what you need. I, I use YouTube videos if I'm stuck on a particular problem and I know what the, the basic concept is. So I just go online onto YouTube and I, you know, I, I watch YouTube videos of people explaining things. I've seen like MIT YouTube videos of lecturers giving lectures on stuff, right? So there's, there's so much online. It really depends on what your learning style is. Awesome. Thank you. And I know that recently you posted in Slack Exorcism. Um, 
as an exercise with an M as with an E at the end as opposed to exorcism. I was so, trying to find that link. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, it's, like um, <laughs> it's one that I've heard recommended in the past as well, which you can, I think they've set you a project and there's online mentors and then they review your code and give you suggestions and they might push you even further with more challenges, which is really cool too. So another really good place to, to probably get that more directed support if you need it as well. Um, can I can okay. I also add actually, yeah. the, um, I can't remember whether it was you, Isabel, or Militia was talking about this, having someone who watch, looks at your code, I think it was you, Militia. Um, I, I had that. I had that when I when I moved to London, switching from consulting into like coding, coding into like a proper technical role. The CTO of the company I was working with literally sat down with me and we did this, 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 I did this coding challenge where you build a little maze solver. And then he would look at my code and review it and, and give me guidelines and tips on how to improve. That is so useful, by the way. If you have someone who can look at your code and give you those tips, like I must have written the same coding exercise like five times right but the difference between the first time I wrote it and the fifth time I wrote it is just miles because this guy was like a CTO he'd built his own company he had actual working software that was being sold to people and he took the time to kind of sit down with me and help me with this it, that is like yeah that is a great way to learn a language by the way really really good way to learn awesome thank you that's great advice um, Mel, we had Sharon ask, um, do you have any tips for the mindset shift from going from marketing to engineering? Is that what she's going to be doing as well? So for me, it was a bit of a frustration. Like I said, um, I saw that receipt from the great company that my last company used for outsourcing. And I was just like, no, I'm not paying that. And also I felt, I felt like I was getting a bit too comfortable with, a mark, um, with my job in marketing and I, I don't like to be comfortable. I like to be challenged. And I, with um, engineering, I realized there's always like a new uh, tech coming out. There's always like a new framework coming out. So you always have to constantly learning, which is what I quite like. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a learner. So it's, for me, it's just, I just thought, okay, I know that eventually if I stay in marketing, I'm going to get bored and I'm going to get frustrated and I'm going to end up in like a kind of like a, a rut. However, I'm, if I go into engineering, because you'll constantly have to like almost reteach, reteach yourself over the years, I will never get bored and I always feel like I'll be challenged. So that was my mind shift. Thank you. I think there's always as well things that you can carry from previous careers into new ones as well aren't there so yeah there's probably always a bit of a shift but also a bunch of things that you're carrying across that you probably don't realize would be relevant to the new position um isma asked would the panel recommend um following lots of video tutorials on writing projects or is the time better spent doing projects on your own isabel um, not sure I'm the best to, to answer this, but uh, we all talked about practice. So just watching tutorials won't get you to actually learn how to do things on your own. The tutorials is when, oh, I need to do this little thing that I don't know yet. And you search and you find the tutorial. Um, but doing an actual project, that's something you can show that you actually did. And 
that's how you usually went by doing. It's not just by reading and um, yeah, reading or, or watching. Does anyone have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, it's up to the person. <laughs> you, you're the only person who knows how best you learn, right? So you, I could say I learn by reading, right? But not everybody's going to be able to do that. Some people learn by just listening, which is incredible, right? But it, it really is up to you. There's no best way to learn. Absolutely. And if you haven't, if you haven't figured out what your style is yet, then have a go at all of them and see which one actually means that you remember how to do it, if you know what I mean. Um, and if you're lucky enough to be somebody who can look at something and now you know it, then I'm, I'm jealous. And <laughs> but that's amazing if you can do that, that's awesome. Um, are there any support groups or bootcamp courses targeting black women in London, especially for career changes? Is that not a question for you? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a question for me. I was going to say, but first of all, I'll see if anybody else has any answers. So um, there are, and there definitely will be next year. So we're working on making sure there is something available in London next year for career changes. We're not sure if that's going to be full-time or part-time, but there will be something available for London people. Um, we actually have a um, cloud engineering course which we just opened applications for yesterday, um, <laughs> which is starting at the beginning of October because we just love pressure. We love to make it really hard. It's a full-time, um, it's a full-time for six week course. And that's going to get you to a point where you're certified. Then at the end of that, we've got employability support as well to then get a role. Um, what we will be looking for though, is a clear interest in technology. So, um, definitely show us that in your application when you put that in. Um, in terms of other um, boot camps, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there are definitely boot camps out there that are available. So um, a lot of the boot camps are now offering scholarship places, if that's something you're looking for. So I know makers are doing that. Um, and General Assembly have a discount, I believe. Um, there's also Founders and Coders, which is free to do, but you just have to go through about 20 Code Wars tests or something before you actually get onto the programme. So it's just about looking. Code First Girls does a lot as well. Um, they've got loads of um, courses, nano degrees. I think, they're, I think they're all free as well. So definitely want to check out as Code First Girls. Not focusing on black women, but focusing on women anyway. Um, but there's a lot out there. So I would just keep your eyes open. We share what we can. Um, but there's a lot out there on on social media. Just try and follow some of the right people on Twitter, and you will just find you'll just find them. I get, I think as well. Um, I've got another one from Zoe. Um, what would you say were some of the most challenging moments or aspects in your careers, and how did you overcome them? Fantastic question. Love that. Each of you, the fantastic interview question. What were some of the most challenging parts of your career and how did you overcome them? Denise, it's your go first because you're to oh my, my left. God. <laughs> okay. Um, I was, uh, one of my roles, I was a career mentor, which is like a, a manager of sorts of, of a more junior person. So I was in charge of um, helping them progress to the next level and getting them promoted and stuff like that. So I would be in those meetings defending them in the promotion cycle. 
uh, unfortunately, this uh, junior developer was pretty much earmarked to believing the company because um, he was underperforming, right? Um, so it was taking over the management of someone who was already, you know, tired to say, oh, this guy's not doing that well. Um, that was hard because like, on one hand, I looked at him and I felt like, you know, this guy just needs a break. He needs a chance. But the people who were his direct managers were way above me in the company. I'm talking like C-level managers were managing this very junior person. So I had to learn how to defend a junior employee in front of very, very senior people without jeopardizing my own career. Um, I asked for feedback for him for the end of the year. And the feedback that I received from this particular manager was harsh, right? And it, that was, I had to ask for feedback again, but in a way that was in a more constructive way. But, you know, for me, like the, the challenge was, was how to stand up for others without, without letting them down, right? I could have just, I could just take an easy way out and just given this guy this terrible feedback and just being like, it is what it is. Um, but I, you can't do that. I, I think you guys are going to find yourselves in situations where you kind of have to put your neck on the line for other people um, and to help them out and to, to stand by stand by your values. So I did I did take this, this manager into a meeting room and I said, look, this feedback is inappropriate and you're going to have to do it again, right? Um, I didn't lose my job, but I think it, 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 it told me that so many things that are terrible that happen to you in your career because someone just decides that it's too much work. Yeah, and so that that was that was hard. And I think about it, and, and I, sometimes I get the sweats. Like, what if I hadn't bothered and just let him get this bad feedback? The feedback he did get was also bad, actually, but not bad in the same way as the first one. It was just, it was just, it was honest, and he just kind of felt defeated by it. But at least it was accurate and true, as opposed to malicious and evil. Um, so yeah, I that that yeah, that was that was hard, and I, I think about that a lot. I, I yeah, that's me. <laughs> Good on you for sticking up for him and making sure that that feedback got delivered in a better way. It's very important. Um, Isabel, how about you? Most challenging moment, how did you overcome it? Um, being made redundant for the first time, and I hope the last, uh, was a very challenging time. So this is not a challenge in terms of software engineering and all. It's a challenge in terms of me coping with the idea of Oh, I was, you know, I was getting comfortable. I was learning a new language at that job. Um, I was learning Scala. Uh, and unfortunately, I didn't get to do much Scala. I was mostly practicing. So when I was interviewing, I was struggling to explain some of the things that I was doing there. And the involvement that I have in open source really helped me to, you know, highlight other areas where hey, can I talk to you about this project that I maintain or this community that I help manage? Um, so that was a very challenging time in terms of, okay, now, and, and yeah, it was also the first time that I properly interviewed to get a job in London because when I moved from Portugal to here, I got recommended for the job. I did the interview in Portugal. I wasn't really, really looking for it, but um, I wasn't looking for a job actively, but it just worked out and I moved. Uh, so yeah, my most challenging moment was that because after that, a lot of imposter syndrome type of thoughts came and last year was really rough. And that's where now my you know target type of thinking 
uh, of I want to get to a senior. How, what can I do to get to that? Um, yeah, that was the most challenging moment during the pandemic. Uh, so grateful I was in Portugal and I had my family to hug. Um, but that was it. Yeah, that was it. And and basically doing interviews and trying to, I think the word is pivot, but you know, trying to show myself as, hey, I know how to do things. Um, I did some Python here. Do you want to see it? Um, yeah. So basically marketing myself in that time where it was um, tough. Yeah, that's my challenge. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you. Um, and yeah, Malisha. Um, I think my first difficult challenge was when I first had to collaborate with so I, when I first joined my company, I was part of integration team. And uh, I had to kind of lead a project that I had to collaborate with the data science team and the backend team and site reliability. And I was still new. I think I was still in my first year in this job. And um, I'm not very good at public speaking and there was I had to speak to a guy and like a, a full room and I was, only, I was the only female and then I had 15 other guys a lot of them were senior and it, it was just I dreaded that moment I was speaking to my manager about it he was like no you'll be fine there's a reason why you can talk to those people I was like no I can't <laughs> and um yeah it's just how uh, with that project that I, it was just I think it was more because I felt like I wasn't really ready to do that yet. And my manager just literally just threw me in the deep end. He was like, yeah, here you go, you can do that. <laughs> so I think, but I'm also kind of grateful because it made me realise actually there was nothing to be afraid of at the end. And now I, if my manager asked me, okay, I need you to work with a different department in R&D, I'd be like, yeah, fine. And, uh, just gave me the confidence so yeah that was my difficult moment thank you okay I think I think we've got through all the questions and <laughs> um, well we've got through all the time anyway I would like to thank you all so 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 much for your honesty your transparency your tips your just awesomeness at your development experience um, it's been completely valuable and I know that everyone's really appreciated it so thank you very 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 much um, I've really enjoyed hearing everything you've had to say as well and um, I just wanted to rehash some of the um, tips that you gave when we were doing the tips bit um, the first tip was don't get drunk with your manager and don't write things that start with NSFW in the work Slack channel. Um, not safe for work. That's what it stands for. Not, <laughs> not safe, safe for work. For work. <laughs> um, don't suffer in silence. If you're struggling, don't suffer in silence. Tell somebody. Um, do time box it if you can, but have a go at things as well. If you've got another type of problem, like a technical problem, but if, if you've been harassed, if you're going through anything difficult, do not suffer. Go to somebody and, and figure it out. Um, with them and they're there to support you um, if you can get involved in community there are loads of communities out there um, so 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 many get involved as many as you can because there's, there's different types of support that you're going to be able to get from them as well um, and when you can give back to the community too because communities cannot exist without you giving back to them um, don't be harsh on yourself because it's it's hard 
but you're going to get it eventually so it's okay it's fine um and if you can write it down show your work and share what you're doing with other people and push yourself so yay thank you um you've all been fantastic thank you for the questions thank you to the panelists you're amazing and have a lovely friday night and a lovely weekend i'll see y'all later yay bye. thank you bye Thank you for listening. To find out more about what we do, head to codeinblackfemales.com.